Tonight, we're going to be in Psalm 27. So if you brought your Bibles with you, turn there. We will be reading the entire Psalm 27, but we're not going to obviously cover every single word in Psalm 27. The picture that you see on the slide, um, I love this picture. We, when we went to Israel recently, we were headed back to, uh, or from, I can't remember the place we were visiting, but we were headed to an olive oil factory um, where they sell obviously olive oil, but also skin products and whatnot. And in their shop was located right on the Sea of Galilee. And so as we were approaching the, the destination, the sun started to set, started to get darker, and it just beautiful scene. And so people were trying to take pictures through the bus windows, and there's glares, and you can't really do that. And it just so happens when we pulled up in the bus, the marina was right behind this place. So as soon as the bus stopped, the doors opened, people started running towards the water's edge. And this was the picture as it set right on the sea, this beautiful sunset. So again, we're going to be uh, in the book of Psalm 27. Now, some say David wrote this right after he gained the throne. Uh, others say that he wrote this after he defeated Goliath. Others believe that he wrote this um, when the Lord restored him after his sin with Bathsheba. However, it's commonly you'll hear that David actually wrote this psalm right before he gained the throne when King Saul was still pursuing him. And I think it's more important that we recognize that David did, in fact, write this. And when we think about David's life, he faced many challenges. Um, some because of his own disobedience, some at the hands of others. And for any reason that is given for David writing this, understand that you know, God deserves the glory for what he does in us and through us. And um, he does that, and while he's, while he's doing that, he's giving us strength to continue to um, act in his will. Similarly, if, as you think about your own walk, where some of us, maybe all of us, are walking through various stages of, of trial. Some of that is because we were disobedient to the Lord, and we can't blame anybody but ourselves. Some of us are facing things because not necessarily what we did, but maybe it was our reaction to what was done to us. Maybe our reaction and our response wasn't Christ-like. Maybe it was very much in the flesh. And so we're feeling some of those effects of that disobedience, even our reaction. Other times, we're faced with something because it's just out of our control, right? Somebody sinned, we're affected by it, and maybe we're not even sure who sinned. But there's no response on our part to have. We're just affected by the sin. But again, understand that as we walk through these things, it's for our strength, it's for our growth spiritually, and it also brings God glory as he walks us through these things up to the other side. So let's read all 14 verses. And obviously, again, we don't have time to go through each thing. But as we read the first verse and you look at the remaining verses, 2 through 14, I think you'll agree that 2 through 14 really give context to the first verse. And it kind of gives us a better understanding of what David is writing about and why he's writing it. And something that I want to encourage everybody, even as you leave here, 
and even if it's not tonight, but sometime very soon, read Psalm 27 by yourself. Somewhere alone, quiet, where there's not going to be any distractions, any interruptions. And meditate on what the Word of God is saying. It's a beautiful thing. And when you, when you recognize who God is, without, any, without anything else, just who He is, He opens your eyes to this, a beautiful, beautiful relationship. So before we read... Let's make sure we pray. Let's go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are here today by your grace. We're in this place because you love us, because your provision for us. Lord, we have an opportunity to be here openly and freely. And Lord, we thank you for the many blessings that you give each of us. We pray, Lord, that as we open your word, it would be your word that we hear. Remove me, Lord, from the pulpit, and may your words be heard in the hearts of each person listening. Lord, we pray that you would allow us to apply these things in our life, or that we would see you in everything that we do, that we would bring you glory in all that we do and say. We just pray that your Holy Spirit be in our midst tonight. Refresh us, strengthen us for your will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy to his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me. O God of my salvation, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. In such as breathe out violence, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord 
in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a beautiful praise? I love it. Absolutely love it. Let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love. We pray now, Lord, that you would fill us afresh and anew. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first verse, The Lord is my light of my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When we read this first verse, we recognize that obviously David is praising God. But if you listen to what he's praising God for, it's not for the things that David actually has at this time. It's not for his worldly possessions, his opportunities, his status, accomplishments. It's, it's none of these things. He's simply praising God for who God is, who he is to him, and really who he is to all of us. And that's a beautiful thing. And when we read those, that first verse, we kind of see three, three things right off the bat of, of who the Lord is. We see that the Lord is our light, he's our salvation, and he's our strength. And so we're going to take a close look at these things tonight, light, salvation, and strength. And the first thing we're going to take a look at is the light. So what does it mean when David or any other person says, God is our light, or he's my light? When we say that, we need to understand a couple of things. And tonight we'll be talking about light and darkness, good, evil. And I just want to mention something that was re I was reminded of recently in a teaching that I was listening to. Many times when we talk about the darkness, we talk about those things that are bad, those things that really bad things take place in. And while that is true, that's not always true. Darkness can also be used to describe a place of secrecy or a place that's hidden from us without our knowledge. And something that where things take place that's on a level that we don't have the ability to understand and therefore see. And this can be understood. The example that was given in the teaching was really a wonderful one. It was in Genesis chapter 1, and it was the first three verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and a darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering above the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. That first part of God's creation happened in darkness. It, wasn't, it happened not for any purpose other than his own and for his own glory. It wasn't until he said in verse 3, let there be light, that we were actually able to see, once he created man, but that we were able to see what he had done. But it was all for him. It was all for his glory. And we think about even, even our, you know, our life. A child is formed in the darkness of a mother's womb. I mean, wonderful and miracles happen in darkness. So it's not always something that's bad. Um, but it is something that is unknown and therefore feared. And so we, we, we dread that. So light, there can be a lot that will be, that will be said about light. 
We're not going to get into everything because there's a lot. But light is really just that which is contrasted to darkness, right? It's not an equal part to darkness, with darkness being this, this other part of it. It's not. It's simply just a contrast to darkness or light. We know from John 1.5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not, did not comprehend it. The ESV version says, and the darkness has not overcome it, nor can it ever. The darkness can never overcome the light. The light will always overcome the darkness, and praise God for that. It says uh, in John 12.46, I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And so when we think about light, what does light do? It removes the darkness, right? Those in darkness can't see, both physically and spiritually. And that's why we see a lot of those things that we see that are horrific in the world take place, because people are in darkness. And there's, you know, when you think about theft and robbery and a lot of the crimes just you see in the world, a lot of those things happen at night. For, under the cover of darkness. And even we think about Paul before he became Saul, the things that he was doing for the church, he really thought he was doing a great thing. He didn't realize who he was really serving. He thought he was serving God, but he really wasn't. And so also those in darkness, they don't want to be seen. They don't want to be seen doing those things they do. John 3.20 says, For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. That's why many people will never call upon the Lord and Savior as Savior. They don't want the things that they are doing to be seen, to be known. They don't want to be exposed they think they're hiding something. But it's also why many believers will struggle in certain areas in their life. They think that the things they're doing, the sin that they com continue to commit, it's not known, it's not seen, it's not affecting anybody. It is. Sin is not an individual problem. It affects many people in horrific ways. If you're in sin as a believer, tell somebody. First off, pray that the Lord forgives you and repent. Truly turn away from whatever that is. But find an accountability partner. Soon, next week, matter of fact, during bottom rowers, we're carving off some time to start talking about who the, for the men, who the accountability partners are going to be and what the topics are, what the, the, subject is for the accountability. We need that. We all need that. It keeps us accountable. It helps us in our walk. But admit first to the Lord, I've done these things. I need help. And then seek help from the body. Eventually, that thing that you're doing is going to be exposed. If you think you're going to hide it forever, you're not. Luke 8.17 says, For nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. God already knows. Now, I know that verse can be 
and it does mean many things, but it also means this. The things that you're doing will be exposed. Something else that happens, those in darkness cannot understand when they see the light or what they see in the light. So you say, what do you mean? Well, think about the religious leaders back in the day, right? They were talking face-to-face with Jesus. They were talking face-to-face with God, and they didn't even know it. And they didn't realize that the things that he was saying, the things that he was doing, they were supernatural. He was supernatural. The words that he was saying, if you think about Matthew 5.44, it says, um, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you. Who, who talked like that back then? Who talks like that now? That's not our reaction. The world's reaction is, get back, get even. And if you want to go big, wreak havoc and do twice the amount of damage to the other person. So then as and now, these things that Jesus was teaching were foreign concepts. And the, the, the religious leaders who thought they were serving God were looking at God, and they didn't even know it. They didn't understand it. If we think it's hard to put our full trace, trust and faith in Jesus Christ, fully surrender our lives to him, how impossible do you think it is for the outside world? Absolutely impossible to overcome these things. If it's difficult for us, it's impossible for them. Because it was impossible for us at one time. But with him, anything's possible. So again, the light can always overcome the darkness. Think about a, a dull flashlight. And I know this analogy has been used, but if you, you know, they didn't, in, in World War II, you didn't want to light more than three cigarettes. Because if you lit a match, the first match, the enemy would see you. The second match, they could take aim. And by the third cigarette you're lighting, you're no longer lighting a cigarette. And so now it's kind of a, you know, an old wives say, like, you don't want to light more than three cigarettes in the same match. But even a little bit of light goes a long way. And, you know, if we had the ability to see above the curvature of the earth, right, it's the, the horizon, I think, is 10 miles or something. But the flickering of a, of a flame of a candle can be seen for over 30 miles by the human eye. 30 miles. So even a little bit of light goes a long way. And if you think about that spiritually, if you're a believer and you're at that point where you are getting ready to fail, right? You're going to give in to the temptation. You're going to give in to the anger. You're going you're gonna to do whatever you're going to do that you're struggling with. And it just seems like everything is crashing around you. And you think, I know I'm supposed to pray. I know I'm supposed to open the word of God. I know I'm supposed to call my, my brother and my sister and, and have them pray with me. But what is that going to do? Is there any power in that? Yes. There's so much power in that. Think about that. If we can see a physical flickering of a candle 30 miles away, how, how much more power do you think is in the Word of God? So even a little bit of light goes a long way. We also know that light is a common figure for comfort. How many of us have been afraid at night when we get ready to turn the lights off in the house? 
You guys remember those days? More likely pre-salvation, right? You get done watching a scary movie, and you realize, now I have to turn off the lights in the house, you know? <laughs> and so you turn off the TV, and you lock the door, and lock the windows. You go back to the door and shake the handle again just to make sure, and you go to your first room, and it's nice and bright. You look at the light switch, and you're like, if I turn this off, something really bad is going to happen. Something's going to come out. It's going to get me. So you want to leave it on. But you're like, nope, i got to do it. You turn off the first light. Click. And you go to the second room, the next room, the next room. And then if your house is designed like my house, the light switch for the hallway only works on this side of the stairs, and it's a long hallway. So you got to turn the light off, the, the switch there. And so, you know, you, you muster up enough courage, you turn off the light, you run up the stairs, run down the hallway, jump into bed, pull the covers up over, and you're just, you're silent. Did anything follow me? I don't think I heard any footsteps. I don't, why the blanket? The blanket, the, the blanket doesn't do anything. The, the, the blanket can't, you know, it, it, it can't save you. Christ can. And so the light, it brings you comfort. Light also stimulates sight, right? It gives us the ability to see. It makes things visible to see and to be seen. It reveals truth and understanding. To the Israelites, on their journey to the promised land, in Exodus 13, 21, it's mentioned that God at night guided them as a pillar of fire to give them light. And think about our own salvation, what that journey looked like. All of us in this room can sit back and recall instances in our past where we things kind of just lined up. Strange coincidences just seem to take place. And then at some point prior to salvation, and maybe it's right at salvation, but normally it's prior, God opens our eyes a little bit. He turns the light on a little bit. And we start to see that the things that we're doing, we shouldn't be doing. Some of the people we're hanging around, we shouldn't be hanging around. The things we're watching, listening to, we, sh we shouldn't be doing these things. And then we realize that the things that we're doing, that the, the void we're trying to fill, can't be filled by those things. God reveals to us that that void can only be filled by him. And then we also realize during that time, the things that we're doing are bad. And we realize how bad it's gotten, how deep we, we really have gotten. And then we, what do we do? We ask for forgiveness. We seek him. He comes into our life. And the veil's lifted, the veil's torn, and now we can see. We can read his word and begin to understand things that we never could before. Verse 6, when we think about the things that we can now see with David, um, verse 6 gives us a perspective. It says, and now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me. All my enemies can now be seen. Now they can, he can see what they're doing what they're planning, where they're going, who they're going with. And this is powerful because we realize that oftentimes it's the things that we can't see that are really the scariest. A lot of us have experiences where the anticipation of something is worse than us really having to walk through something, right? And a lot of times, you know, we're afraid of the thing that goes bump in the night, but we realize that that thing that was going bump in the night, it was actually for our protection. 
right? The things that we thought were going to be horrible really aren't so bad because we have Christ to lead us and guide us and help us and give us strength for these things. Psalm 119, 105 says, The word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. He speaks to us through his word, guides our path by illuminating one step of faith at a time. John 8, 12 says, And Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. 1 Peter 2, 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We're called out of the darkness by God into his light. And not just his light, his marvelous light. If we, and then 1 John 1, 6-7 says, if we see that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we also see in reference to light that we reflect the light, right? We're not the source. Christ is the source, but we reflect his light. And we, the people around us see it in our countenance. They see it in the grocery store. They see it in our workplace. Hopefully they see it in our workplace, in the grocery store. There's a lot that we can say about light. I'm done talking about light, but you should do a study um, just on... God being that light. There's a lot more. The book of Revelations talks about things as well. Highly encourage that. Our second point is salvation. Oh, forgot that. Salvation. The Lord is my light and my salvation. This doesn't mean that he's just our salvation. It means he gives us salvation, but he is our salvation. The word salvation is from the Latin root of salvare, which means to save. The Hebrew word salvation means deliverance and is pronounced as Yeshua. That should sound familiar. The, word defi the world defines salvation as preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. And theology defines salvation as deliverance from sin and its eternal consequences. We know with salvation that only comes through Christ. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except me, through me. So have you guys ever thought about what happens at salvation? When you go from work, walking in darkness, accepting Christ as Savior, what transformation takes place. If you haven't, family Bible study would be a wonderful time, a personal study. It's, it's incredible. I do have a couple of examples that I want to share. We're not going to go through everything because there's a lot. But the first thing is we become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us this. We're running out of time, so I don't want to go through too much detail on this, but read those verses. There's many other verses, but we become a new creation in him. 
we become a servant of God. We no longer serve our flesh. We don't serve the world. We serve him. Bond servants for his glory. We are sanctified. We're set aside for his will, for his work. We have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for that. Through that we have our hope, we have our strength, we have our discernment. So much comes through the Holy Spirit. Sin no longer has dominion over us. Amen. We're not a slave to sin any longer. We're redeemed. Our sin is forgiven. And we receive a blessed hope. These are some bullet points that some transformational things that take place upon salvation. Highly encourage, do a study in this. It is amazing. When we say that first bullet point, we become a new creation, we truly do. If we put our hope and trust in Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. So back to salvation. To come back to what David is saying here, the text and the context in which he's saying it, when David in this psalm cries out in worship and says to the Lord, you are my salvation, he's speaking to the fact that God is delivering him out of the hands of his enemies. Remember, the Hebrew word is deliverance. But with that comes eternal blessings. And so what we see here is a precursor to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ, who happens to be our Savior. Psalm 23, verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Verse 6 of that psalm says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So even with that salvation, that deliverance from the Lord, from God, there's still, even at that point, um, eternal blessings. And salvation in terms of what God did, what he does, what will do for us through Jesus Christ really allows us to see a glimpse more closely into that blessed hope that is in him. Verses 2 and 3 give us some examples of the application of salvation, that, de that deliverance from our enemies. When the wicked came against me to eat my flesh, the enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. God protects and delivers David from his foes. In verse 5, For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion, in his secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set my set me high upon a rock. This is an example of what we were talking about earlier, that other side of darkness, that we don't see the things that are going on, where God works in those mysterious ways. He protects David in ways, he protects us in ways that we can't see. And maybe we're going through something that is really difficult. It's for our good. Maybe those things that are taking place are for our strength that we're going to need for something for his will to be done. We don't know that. 
So even in our trials, he deserves honor and blessing. Prior to salvation, we're living in the dark and we're rescued out of that darkness. Salvation from this darkness is the deliverance out of this situation or that life. Verses 7 and 9 are examples of this. Ending in verse 9, it says, Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. And he never will. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. The last point is strength. I'll get this whole timing thing down here. Elohim is another name for God. It means strength and power. Verse 1 mentions fear twice with David, saying, because God is these things, one of them being strength, who shall I fear and of whom shall I be afraid? What are we so afraid of? Truly. Sit back and think. What are we so afraid of? We have the spirit of the living God in our lives. What are we so afraid of? I was thinking about this because this is as much for me as as much for anybody else. You know what I think happens? I was reading and I came across something. The verses in 1 Chronicles 16.11. It says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face evermore. Even in verse 7 of Psalm 27, David says, When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. David is referencing something here. Other versions of 1 Chronicles 16.11 says, instead of saying evermore, it says continually, seeking his face continually. I think what happens is we're afraid because we don't do this. We don't follow the simple promise that we have. We don't have his strength. We don't think we have his strength because we're not seeking him continually. We're allowing the world to seep in. We're allowing our situation to get the better part of us. We lose faith. We lose hope. If we sought his face continually and concentrated on him, not our situation, not our circumstances, but him, Seek those. Seek first the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 tells us we need to watch. We need to stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. The only way that this becomes a reality is if we seek his face continually. There's no other way. We can't overcome our fears, our issues on our own. We have to seek him continually. First John 4 4 says, You are a God, I'm sorry, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We know that verse. I can't say it, but we know that verse. First John 4 4. If we really believe this, then why do we have the blankets? Right? If we truly believe that, then What's holding us up? David describes some of these issues he was faced with. Been looking at verses two and three again. His foes wanted to eat his flesh. 
the war. But how glorious is this, right? The wicked come to eat up my flesh. They stumbled and fell. So they came, but they stumbled and fell. Though an army encamps against me, his heart doesn't fear that. And the war, the war, may, may, war may rise. He's confident in God. He's faced with just certain ruin, certain ruin, that the world would say, that's it, he's done. But nothing happened to him. God protected him. And we see the same type of courage and confidence in the Lord in many parts of the Bible. Acts 20, verse 24, where Paul says, but none of these things move me in reference to all that lied ahead of him with the ministry that he needed to finish. We see it in Peter, with Peter in Acts 5, in prison and beaten for sharing the gospel. And verses 10 through 14 of Psalm 27 show us some more of the strength that we're talking about. 10 says, the Lord will take care of me. Verse 11 says, teach me and lead me. 12, do not deliver me. 13, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. And verse 14 says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Twice, he says, wait. There's a lot of scripture out there that talks about just waiting on the Lord. Waiting to see what he will do. Not what you think can be done, but what he will do. God is the only one capable of never falling short on any of these things. If we're up to you and I, we'd fail every single time. But God won't fail. And throughout the Bible... And really, in our own lives, we recognize when that strength of God is present and something that we were able to overcome, something that we were able to do. His strength is what allows us to be here this evening. Right? We just think we got here on our own power. His strength allows us to be here today. In a couple of weeks, we're getting ready to close. I don't want to keep guys too long here, but in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing our Bottom Rowers Bible study. And we'll be starting that D.L. Moody, as Dr. Russ had mentioned, on spiritual leadership. This is, guys, this is going to be a great study. I, I think most really looking forward to it. But in that, there's a quote uh, in chapter 7, and there's also a prayer. The quote says, Dear friends, let us expect that God is going to use us. Let us have courage and go forward, looking to God to do great things. Right? Not on ourselves. Looking to God to do great things. And after that is the prayer. This is a wonderful prayer. O Heavenly Father, may we look for a blessing ere we go hence. For precious blessings before we go out of this place. We would ask thee to bless every minister next Sunday. May they enter their pulpits weaker than they ever have been before. May they lose all their own strength and receive from thee that which is so necessary to work. Increase our faith. Take away our miserable unbelief. May all these men receive from on high the power they need so much. What an incredible prayer. Can you imagine pastors of today praying this prayer? I know of about a handful that trust in the Lord enough to pray this prayer. 
God is the only being capable of creating life and ending life. And every single thing that happens between those two dates is for his honor, his glory. It strengthens us. It's a blessing. But it's all for him. And he gives us the strength to do whatever it is he set out to accomplish through us. We don't have to rely on anything else other than him. We don't bring anything to the table. We bring nothing. So in thinking about light, salvation, and strength, the Lord is the source of all these things. How often do we think about this? If we read just the first verse, and we agree with it, I think, have we thought about who he is to us? And not about the position that we're in right now. You know, he's gotten us through so many things. The, the blessings that we have received from him are wonderful. And really, you, you should, you know, sing praise for those things. But that's not what I'm talking about. Just praising him for who he is to us, for us. Understand that our relationship with God, that the Lord is our light, he is our salvation, he's our strength, peace, comfort, hope, all of these things, and many more. This is all possible because of Jesus. He was born, dwelt among us, Emmanuel, which means God with us, lived a sinless life on this earth, was sacrificed on a Roman cross for us, but he rose again. We worship and serve a living God. We just celebrated his resurrection not too long ago. Next time when you open the word, along with Psalm 27, read Psalm 56. I think you'll be wonderfully blessed. It's 13 short verses, but incredibly encouraging. Here's a little preview. Psalm 56, 11. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? Two more verses to write down. Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And then Psalm 61.3. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. These are wonderful verses to memorize, to save in your heart, because we're reminded of his strength, reminded, reminded of his power. When it's hard for us, when we're at our weakest, we can rely on him being our strong tower, his protection. He is our hope. He is our light. He gives us the ability to see what he has done for us. He is our salvation. He delivers us out of the hands of our enemies. And we have the promise of eternity with the Father. He is our strength through Christ. We have the strength to live a life according to the will of the Father, which means we have the strength and ability to overcome anything our flesh or the enemy can throw our way. Remember that anything that comes our way. And this is such an incredible gift from God. Lastly, we touched on three names tonight. Yeshua, which is salvation. 
Elohim, which is strength and power, and Emmanuel, God with us. Praise the Lord for who he is. He is all these things and much more for us. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time in your word. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, would just minister to each of us where we need it most. Lord, that we would never forget who you are, the power that we have because of you. Lord, we thank you for the salvation that is in you. We thank you for your hope. Lord, the courage and just the ability, Lord, to serve you, to bring you honor. Lord, thank you for your love. We pray, Lord, as we leave this place, Lord, you would allow us the opportunity to apply these things that we just heard in our life. Lord, may we reflect on areas in our life that we're struggling with. Maybe we've forgotten, Lord, how powerful you are, how loving you are, and how much we can trust you with everything. Forgive us, Lord, if we've fallen short in these areas. I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here, Lord, that their eyes would be upon you, focused upon you, hearts surrendered to you, Lord. May each of us find our strength for your will to be lived out through us. May you be honored and glorified in all that we do and say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.